0: Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. The corporate world transitioned quickly to working from home and endless video chats when the pandemic struck. The transition for our healthcare system while keeping patients at the forefront was much more complex. How did our clinicians manage to keep hospitals open and functioning for those who needed them, meet the potential demands of COVID surges and transition care safely where possible? While I would say dedication and a little creativity, I'll defer to them.
1: So I'm Michelle Davison. I'm one of the emergency physicians on the Sunshine Coast Hospital and Health Service and I had the distinct pleasure of being the Acting District Director of Emergency during the COVID crisis last year and I have Hayley who will um, introduce herself but also we have John Richards who's going to be with us virtually. He's another one of the emergency physicians. So we're going to be talking about the Sunshine Coast Retrieval Service. So what was the problem? Well it was an old problem but it was a problem that was about to become much worse with COVID. Our hospital and health service has four hospitals where the patients who present for critical care need to drain down to the hub hospital, which is the Sunshine Coast University Hospital. We're separated by about 100 kilometres, even more than that for one of our uh, peripheral centres. And we rely upon Retrieval Services Queensland, which comes from Brisbane to come and retrieve many of our patients. Prior to COVID, we were doing some of our retrievals via local teams, but it was ad hoc. Emergency physicians and emergency nurses are skilled in retrieval, but we didn't have um, standardised equipment, and it was often just based on need when the retrieval service couldn't come up to us. So we saw the COVID coming, and so we decided that we had to act quickly. And so what we did was we developed a service and one of the premises of the service was that we needed to be able to rapidly activate this service. It needed to be available to any of the district hospitals. We needed to make sure that the staff who were going to be providing the service had a level of credentialing and specialisation and were prepared for not only retrievals, but also uh, retrievals of possible COVID patients, which is a whole realm of difficulty that is hard to sort of comprehend if you've never been in the back of an ambulance, let alone in the back of an ambulance with full PPE trying to manage a sick patient. And we set this up such that we could have robust processes such that if we wanted to continue this on, and in fact, there has been elements of this which we have continued on out of COVID, and guess what? It's ready for uh, if we have to step it up again anytime soon. So the main aims, we wanted to improve access and reduce delays. Patients waiting for retrieval, many of you would know, you can wait a very, very long time for retrieval because it's not just the transport of those patients, it's getting that team to the site, pick up their equipment, come up out and get the patient, get them onto the stretcher, stabilise them and bring them down. So our peripheral centres were often faced with very, very long delay times, looking after critical care patients in their very small facilities and this critical care patient taking them away from the care of all the other patients coming through that door. We wanted to provide critical care support and standards. Now, a lot of our facilities have similar levels of training and expertise. However, even within this, trying to make sure that we were standardising our care so that no matter what hospital you came to in our hub and spoke, you got the same level of critical care. We wanted to increase the specialist expertise and opportunity that's for both our patients but also for our staff. Being able to do retrieval medicine is, is that next step up and giving those opportunities to our local staff. And we wanted to improve our collaboration um, and our relationships between both our different emergency departments but also the critical care and inpatient teams and our QAS colleagues. So we wanted to do all of those things. And so we set up the Sunshine Coast Local Road Retrieval Service. Now, like many things, particularly in a disaster, we had the idea, uh, we got it approved. And very quickly, uh, we were told, "Okay, well, get on with it. Go and get up, get those patients." And so, a lot of what we did evolved um, over time, and we refined and uh, our processes. And Haley here was one of the key people that was responsible for taking the great ideas and making them happen in a way that was safe and in a way that was detailed and replicable for everyone. Now, what we needed to do, though, was not only make everything sort of standardised and, but also allow those experts in their fields to be able to practise the way that they know how to practise, and so it was that fine balance between giving them enough information and training to, to bring that standard level of care but still giving them the freedom to make sure that they could practise in the way that they all are experts in. I'm going to hand over to Hayley now.
2: Hello everyone,
1: uh, my name's Hayley. I'm normally
2: a clinical nurse of Nambour Emergency Department, and for this project, I was put into a clinical nurse consultant position. So, our team was built through an opt in approach of ED, CNs, and SMOs, and once we had Once we had a uh, structured education program, we invited team leader, level RNs, and our senior ED registrars who had completed their ICU and anaesthetics rotations. Nursing team members were encouraged from all of our facilities across the Sunshine Coast, and our SMOs um, already rotate through Nambour, Gympie and SCU campuses, so they were already familiar with a lot of the EDs. By having our retrieval staff representation from the multiple district departments, we correspondingly assisted to improve the district expertise of staff members, strengthen a connected uh, culture of district and create positive relationships between our departments and retrieval team. We, we developed a framework that outlined the process required for safe interfacility retrievals of adult ICU patients, both COVID and non-COVID. It addresses the coordination and communication, infection control, staffing and teams, equipment, patient safety, and transport platforms in the Sunshine Coast Health Service. We saw advice from our colleagues in like services such as RSQ and Sydney HEMS and reviewed their working documents to ensure that we were creating a proficient service as well as utilising their skill set as stakeholders. The question we asked ourselves was how do we best support the team to ensure they were given the tools to excel in a new environment within an ever-changing pandemic? So it had to be best practice It had to be logical and reproducible and it had to be flexible enough but also supported the team to make critical uh, patient-specific decisions whilst they were out on the retrieval. We used checklists to support staff in the new working environment. These included equipment and retrieval kit checklists that they would go through every shift, coordination forms that were set out in an SBAR format, and used by the smos to record clinical information and um, document risk screening prior to the acceptance of tasking we had pre-departure checklists which had uh, reminders on them on how to organize qas transportation and ensured that the specific equipment wasn't forgotten and we utilized the statewide iht form for documentation during the transfer we had a Clinical patient pre-departure checklist, which was set out in a patient head-to-toe assessment A through to H, which uh, provided a prompt for staff to ensure that they undertook a final critical check and discuss contingency planning as a team prior to loading and leaving the referring hospital. There we had an activation log because we didn't have any um, anything that we were able to electronically record timestamps on, we documented times throughout the transfer as a way of collecting data and we had a clinical debrief form and this was a really great tool that enabled our teams to reflect and document any issues that they experienced during the retrieval and these forms were reviewed daily by myself and then monthly at our clinical case reviews as well. We also found an Excel wizard quite quickly and secured them to work as part of our retrieval service, which really helped us to optimise our data capturing and turned raw data into something meaningful that, you know, I could understand. We were able to review our case numbers, our destination percentages, uh, delays that we had, time on scene, our overtime rates, and possible length of stay impacts that we may, have made, may or may not have been creating. And we also sought qualitative data in the way of patient and retrieval team feedback questionnaires and external stakeholder surveys uh, throughout the course that this was operating. Our clinical case reviews took part each month uh, with myself, Michelle and the SMO that was on that day for the retrieval shift. It was an opportunity to ensure that best practice was maintained and identify what practices were working well for the teams as well as revealing any recurring issues that staff may have been encountering. The findings of these were de-identified and fed back to the team via usual communication channels, as well as discussed and actioned in our um, monthly case forums. We developed an education program to support staff on the retrieval team, and it was aimed at further specialising our nursing staff and senior registrars, as well as providing a refresher for SMOs that weren't currently working in the retrieval space. Our education program would include an induction package on LMS, which was five modules that um, was to be completed prior to a retrieval training day, and it aimed at staff with minimal exposure or wanting to refresh. It discussed the theories of safe transport and principles to consider in the retrieval environment. We had a retrieval training day that was developed by a group of Sunshine Coast SMOs and retrieval nurses, and it was an opportunity to put the retrieval principles learnt in the um, modules into sims and case-based discussions that were led in a supportive team environment. Uh, QAS were also able to participate in the sims and provide their expertise to the teaching. We were also fortunate enough to be able to provide SIM um, inter hospital transfer education at, in both the Sku ED and the Nusa hospital EDs. And we had daily COVID intubation SIMs that were encouraged for our retrieval team as part of their checklist each morning of preparation. We also acquired a new bridge to hold all our equipment on during the transfer and we were able to purchase it for our main department, so Nambour, Gympie and Sku all had the same bridge, and for that we included a guideline and an educational video. Our case forums that we had monthly were a casual opportunity to discuss interesting cases and lessons learned. It was different team members that presented each month, and it was an opportunity for team bonding and education. We would also discuss any updates regarding COVID and service changes and team discussions on improving the service any equipment adjustments that needed to be done and any challenges that were arising, we would discuss as a group and solutions agreed upon. And I'm just going to start. um... Good
3: afternoon, I'm Dr. John Richards, an emergency physician with the Sunshine Coast Health and Hospital Service. I'm going to outline the drugs, equipment, transport and staffing processes established for this service. It's hard to encapsulate all the new processes, guidelines, instructions and checklists required for a new retrieval service. But we didn't reinvent the wheel either. Many recent departmental improvement processes were simply optimised for the IHT or transfer environment, drawing on the collective experience of our EDSMOs and nursing workforce, particularly those with extensive retrieval experience. So starting with medications, Drug administration delivery needed to take into account the unique challenges of patient transfers, including the preparation of drugs and infusions in time critical and sometimes even low light and a moving workspace. Our district previously optimized our resuscitation drug delivery with a resus menu checklist of most commonly used infusions and drugs. And this was our starting point. Consultation with departmental SMOs and nurses identified expected scenarios and treatments providing a shortlist of medications. Stakeholder consultation included review of this shortlist by receiving units, namely ICU, and peripheral emergency departments to ensure compatibility of drug doses and concentrations. Close collaboration with our ED pharmacist and Medicine Safety Committee ensure compliance with existing guidelines and processes. A dedicated drug administration guide was developed for low light fatigue and variable Use familiarity with drugs. Formatting and layout included use of both civil and military style manuals, font, tall man lettering, and consideration of existing and familiar layouts, whilst avoiding some of the common pitfalls, such as multiple drug preparations, unfamiliar concentrations, similar sounding drugs physically separated, and use of software guardrails on infusion pumps. Other processes included a Workplace instruction around the use of control drugs for IHTs, including several processes for daily checking, collection, and inventory control in as shown here in the top right. Consumables, equipment, and pack selection followed a similar process. Bag and pack selection preference clamshell design, here in the middle of the top, with plastic welding, seamless zips, and minimal external pockets or features to facilitate rapid cleaning and decontamination. This is a departure from traditional retrieval packs with multiple pockets and zips that are easily contaminated and more challenging to clean. A dedicated space within our disaster room with separate charging facilities and with a designated location for equipment was created, here shown in the top right of the slide. This was to facilitate rapid collection, routine checking, servicing, and minimise contamination with other equipment. Device and equipment selection followed existing guidelines from aeromedical and road retrieval services, drawing on the experiences of our SMO workforce in this area, whilst utilizing existing and familiar equipment with minimal capital outlay. Such equipment included the Oxilog 3000 plus ventilator, the LifePak 15 defibrillator with invasive art and in the CO2 monitoring, and Agila syringe drivers, also shown here being charged at the top right of the slide. These main devices were used with the added benefit of horizontal integration with existing district emergency departments. Pack checklists shown here on the bottom were color coded to bags and optimized for rapid routine checking and familiarization of kit. Additional visual guides were created to accompany checklists and used during induction and teaching. All bags and equipment were tagged with radio frequency tags were appropriate to minimise equipment and stock loss. The dedicated bridge, here shown on the top right, was sourced and made locally by an aeronautical manufacturer specialising in such equipment, with, propri- with proprietary device mounts meeting crash and safety standards. Bridge to stretcher and device to bridge visual guides were created to accompany induction and teaching and placed in our transfer folder as permanent reminders of ideal setup. A dedicated COVID bag, also shown here on the bottom right, was created, complete with equipment and consumables in separate packaging. These included to secure the airway, established invasive monitoring, and treat complications en route. This minimised contamination from opening other packs during COVID transfers, minimising waste, restocking time, and replacement costs. A similar approach with individually sealed procedure packs is now employed for COVID or potential COVID intubations in our department. Documentation has already been mentioned by Haley, uh, and include several mission checklists employed employing established CRM principles to maximise communication and situational awareness. Formal clinical documentation templates were also created to cover initial call and coordination, patient interventions and transfer and a debrief form. Transport to and from the peripheral hospital was provided by QAS vehicles equipped with a striker power stretcher, shown here on the top left, which is compatible with our bridge mount. Procedures were established for rapid preparation and packaging of patients for ongoing treatment during transfer, with conveyance directly to the ward or ICU. Processes were established to enable timely but safe green up for our team to minimise downtime. Robust guidelines ensured appropriate patient selection. Rostering was from our SMO pool of FACEMs with previous retrieval experience and ensured treatment delivery within scope of practice. Coordination followed established Queensland retrieval guidelines whilst borrowing from recent communication process improvements in the paediatric retrieval sphere, utilising three-way conversations. A rolling roster was established with over a dozen SMOs and two dozen nurses providing 24-7 cover with planning to escalate staffing resources as required. It's quite fitting that I end this brief overview with staffing as this venture was a huge team effort, leveraging prior experiences and training from our much of our department. And we take this opportunity to acknowledge all their hard work and contribution.
1: Okay, so as you can see, we're very excited about it. So we're telling you a lot about it. So I'm just gonna very quickly run through our outcomes. We had, so one of our main aims was to have timely referrals. So we did 77 retrievals in nine months. Now, that might not seem like a lot, but compared with if the retrieval service from Brisbane had had to come up, that's a huge number that we took off their shoulders. We had a range of facilities that we serviced. So the graph on your right there, the first two facilities are Nambour and Gympie, they're our biggest hospitals, so they had about the same number of uh, retrievals that we went out to see. Um, And Noosa and Melania are our smaller facilities, so we um, retrieve patients from there. And then the last column is our SKU to Brisbane retrievals, which was an unexpected uh, advantage of having this service. Some of our urgent patients that either needed to go for urgent surgery that was not available, or our paediatric patients that needed to go urgently where the helicopter was going to be slower than we were. So these are the ones that we did. Our activation times, not unexpectedly. All of the activation times were pretty much in the lower and the later part of the day, which is when a lot of these critical care patients are ready to leave, and it's also the busiest time for the retrieval service. Now these are we wanted to be eff- efficient and effective. So the graph down the bottom there is our graph of how we compared for our length of stay for our patients. So the top column is The retrieval service and the bottom column is the local service. So you can see that we were actually quicker even though we were coming from another site and the reasons for that are complex but if you're trying to take staff from a site that's small then we won't, it takes a long time to get them. Our retrieval scene times, they're about the same as the RSQ service so we weren't sitting around and doing things, we were picking up those patients and getting them to where they needed to be Um, And you can see there that the only one that uh, pipped us is RSQ getting up to Gympie, which is 100 kilometres away, but they're coming via a helicopter, so they've got an unfair advantage. Uh, We had some great outcomes around person-centred care, and so there's a little quote there from one of the patients that we retrieved. The team went out and intubated her, and she was incredibly grateful about the local service and got quite emotional, as I am, uh, when she... uh, when she was asked about how she experienced that local service. We got the patients to the right care, right place, right time. And we provided an efficient service for our district. And the staff finally, um, they had uh, great outcomes as well. We provided equity of care and opportunity and resource despite the postcode for both the staff and the patients. It's ready to be stood up again. And we've already had people uh, in other districts asking us for all of our wonderful procedures that the guys put together so that they can do the same thing. Thank you.
0: As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you
1: by Clinical Excellence Queensland.